Welcome back. It's been a long time, but we are back and bigger than ever. We have officially rebranded from 7-Eleven Sports to the Sports Town Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. I'm your host, JJ Peters, along with my co-host, Michael Menser. Michael is not here at the moment, but he'll be here most shows. Michael is the host of the YouTube gaming channel, Angry Turtles. Don't forget to check him out on YouTube and leave a like, subscribe, and comment on his channel along with our podcast. It would be a huge help to Michael, too, if you started following him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at MichaelMenser28. Also, I would like to give a shout-out to my brother, Rob. He was a huge help back in the 7-Eleven sports days, and if it wasn't for him, this podcast would not be possible. Welcome to the Sports Town Podcast. I'm your host, JJ Peters, along with my co-host, Michael Menser. No drama, no politics, and no argument. Just two guys talking sports. On the first episode of Season 2, we'll discuss the Lakers' win 17th championship, Week 5 NFL highlights, Falcons fired Dan Quinn, and much more. On to our weekly poll question. You can vote... On our social media sites that include Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And the question was, who is the best team in the NFL right now? The Seattle Seahawks or the field? And normally Michael will do the honors, but he is not available at the moment. So I will announce them. The results are in and currently it is tied 50-50. Let's dive into our first topic. And it is the Atlanta Falcons firing Dan Quinn. After losing to the Panthers on Sunday, Falcons owner Arthur Blank decided to part ways with head coach Dan Quinn and GM Thomas Dimitrioff. Atlanta has started a, a league-worst 0-5, Arthur Blank said after firing both Quinn and Dimitrioff. Decisions like these are very difficult, but the previous two seasons and start to this one have been especially hard for me because of the deep love, admiration, and respect I and my family have for Dan, Thomas, and their families. He continued, for many years, they have represented me, our team, organization, Atlanta, with class, commitment, and all the passion you would want in the leaders of the team. But as everyone knows, it is a results business, and I owe it to our fans to put the best product we can be on the field. We have poured every resource possible into winning and will continue to do so. But the results of late do not meet our standard and what I've promised our fans. Therefore, we will install new coaching and personnel leadership of the Atlanta Falcons at the appropriate time. The Falcons have promoted former defensive coordinator Raheem Morris and the coach for the Buccaneers from 2007 to 2009 to interim coach. Now, my thoughts are not surprising that Falcons let Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrioff go. Ever since the top Super Bowl lost the Patriots, the Falcons have never recovered. Atlanta did make the playoffs after they lost to New England, but that's about it. When you have the best receiver in the game on it and an MVP quarterback at one time and the best offense from 2016-2018, you would think the Falcons would have at least a Super Bowl to show for it. There were also multiple sources that report the Falcons owner Arthur Blank did not want to be the first owner to fire a coach this season. The firing comes a week after the Texans fired head coach Bill O'Brien. I wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons end up having a top five pick and starting from scratch. And the next one would be, or the next question is, what next step for Atlanta and do they now start from scratch? As I previously mentioned, I can see the Falcons tanking for the rest of the season and getting a top five pick. There's also multiple reports that say Matt Ryan could be done in Atlanta after the season. However, the Falcons would have to find a trade partner because Ryan is in Atlanta for the next four years with a massive contract but not a lot of people or teams would want to trade for. They also have one of the best receivers in the game, and Julio Jones, who has been injured the last few weeks, but he could get he got paid a bunch of money too, and there are some teams that could be interested. So there's a lot of rumors 
about a lot of things, but at the moment, we're still months away from the offseason. Atlanta has a lot to think about the next few months. And the last one would be who replaces Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrioff. I would think Dan Quinn would be the easiest to replace. Of course, Eric Bieniemy would be the obvious choice of the Falcons' next head coach. Bieniemy has been a great offense scorer in the last three seasons, and I'm still not sure on how he hasn't been hired as a head coach before. He helped Patrick Mahomes tremendously and led the team to a Super Bowl title last season. Another option would be Craig Roman of the Baltimore Ravens, Josh McDaniels of the Patriots, and maybe a dark horse in Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley. And of course, if Raheem Morris does well as the interim coach, he will be the guy. But those are just some of my thoughts on replacing Dan Quinn. On the other hand, there's not a lot of guys that stand out to me for replacing Thomas Dimitrioff. Lewis Riddick of the Mothership or ESPN has been gaining a lot of momentum to become a GM in the NFL. Riddick is currently an ESPN Monday Night Football analyst. Maybe Martin Mayhew of San Francisco or another ESPN analyst, former GM for the New York Jets, Larry Tannenbaum. Let's give you a 2020 French Open update. Rafael Nadal wins his 20th major Grand Slam title and his 13th at the Roland Garros. With the win, Nadal ties Roger Federer for for 20 Grand Slam titles. Nadal is considered one of the greatest male tennis players of all time and swept Novak Djokovic for the 2020 French Open Championship. The big thing was Nadal swept Djokovic and didn't lose a single set at the 2020 French Open. He was the first male tennis player to ever do that. There were many players and fans congratulating Nadal that included Roger Federer and 2020 Women's French Open champion Iga Swantek. Unfortunately, Nadal was not able to continue his rivalry with Roger Federer after Federer shut himself down because of a knee injury. Uh, so my first thoughts was Nadal was great and couldn't be stopped. Even the top tennis player in the world couldn't beat him. After missing six months of tennis because of the pandemic, he proved he is the best male tennis player in the world. It seems as if Nadal didn't break a single sweat in the whole tournament. Djokovic struggled versus Nadal and couldn't ra- couldn't rally to beat the Frenchman. Dominic Thiem also could not win his second straight Grand Slam major. Thiem won the 2020 U.S. Open in September of last month. Also, another question, too, is Nadal the best male tennis player of all time with him winning the 2020 French Open? Well, I don't think so because you have to look at some other players like Roger Federer, Arthur Ashe, Pete Sampras, John McEnroe. All those are considered the best tennis players of all time. So I probably, again, would say not the moment, but once he retires, he could be the greatest of all time in the tennis world. Nadal has plenty of years left and has clearly left his mark in tennis. And then, of course, we switch to the women's side. Who is the best female tennis player right now? I mean, the best tennis female tennis player in the world for females is still Ashley Barta. Simona Hellup and now Naomi Osaka are still in the top three. Uh, however, with Iga Swantek winning the 2020 Women's Single French Open, she will definitely be in the conversation for the next few years. She still has some time to prove herself, but she's definitely been noticed after winning her first major before we dive into some more awesome sports topics i'd like to tell you about anchor if you haven't heard anything about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain it's free can't go wrong with that and guess what there's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer that's not all though anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on spotify apple podcast and many more It keeps on getting better, though. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get back to the show. The Tampa Bay Rays won both games 
one and two over the Houston Astros. The Rays topped the Astros 2-1 in game one and 4-2 in game two. Tampa has the best record in baseball this season, and they're showing it in the playoffs this season. The pitching has been great, and despite the Astros having more hits in game one, Tampa's bullpen was able to deliver. The Rays are seeking their second World Series trip and first since 2009. Now we travel from Petco Park in San Diego, California, to Global Life Park in Arlington, Texas. The NLCS started Monday, and the second-seeded Atlanta Braves belted over the L.A. Dodgers 5-1 in the first game of the National League Championship Series. Freddie Freeman homered in the first, and Ozzie Albee hit a two-run homer to seal the victory. Max Fried gets the win for the Braves in game number one. Now, what I really saw from the game was the Astros, I or I thought the Astros would split with the Rays in the first two games of the American League Championship Series. But you cannot forget how good the Rays have been this season, and it starts on the mound. Blake Snell got the win in Game 1, and Charlie Morton won Game 2 for, the, for Tampa. The Rays' bullpen has also been instrumental in both games. Tampa won Game 1 because their bullpen was able to get them out of a jam in the 7th. Currently, it seems the Rays could potentially sweep the Houston Astros in the ALCS. Uh, what stood out to me most in the in both playoff series? Well, the one thing that really stood out to me in the playoffs has been how good the Astros were in the wild card round in divisional series. Before the ALCS, I thought the Astros could, in fact, go to the World Series this year. However, after their performance in Game 1 and 2, I could be way off on my thinking. The Rays have been slept on all year. But if I were the Astros, I would get my act together and play as hard as I could for the next five potential games. Another thing that stood out to me is how good the Dodgers looked like in the divisional series versus the Padres. Once again, after watching them versus the Braves in game one, I could once again be way off in my thinking. But there are plenty of baseball games left to be played, and the Dodgers need to figure something out quickly so they don't choke again. I do think the Dodgers will head to the World Series this year and will find a way to top the Atlanta Braves. Although once Kershaw gets on the mound, he has to prove he's, his doubters wrong. He's got to play the best postseason series ever and put the Dodgers back into the series. Walker Bueller struggled for the Dodgers in game one and will have to be a lot better for the next game he pitches in the series. Series predictions, uh, I think it might be a little too early, but I'm assuming the Rays will take on the Dodgers in the 2020 World Series in Global Life Park in Arlington, Texas. Tampa has always been has all, almost been flawless, and the Dodgers, in my opinion, will find a way to top the Braves in the NLCS. Both teams are the best in the regular season, despite there only being 60 games in the 2020 season. Tampa and LA both went through the wild card round unscathed, but things were a little different in the divisional series. The Dodgers swept Slam Diego, and the Rays had to go to a decisive Game Five to to top the Yanks at Petco Park. Here's an interesting stat for the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa's payroll is 26 in the league while the Yankees is number one. And yet Tampa is in the LCS and the Yankees are at home. My final thought in the World Series is the Dodgers get their first World Series title in 32 years and defeat the Tampa Bay Rays in six games. Cody Bellinger is your 2020 World Series MVP. Some college football happened over the weekend, and we saw a few upsets. The defending champs and 17th-ranked LSU Tigers lost to Missouri 45-41, and 4th-ranked Florida fell to the 21st-ranked Aggies of Texas A&M 41-38. Oklahoma won the Red River rivalry, beating Texas 53-45. The Sooners sealed the deal thanks to a last-second interception in overtime. The 8th-ranked Tar Heels beat 19th-ranked Virginia Tech 56-45. Georgia continues to dominate as they beat down on Tennessee 44-21. 
Notre Dame had no problem with Florida State on Saturday night, being them 42-26. Alabama beat Mississippi in a barn burner 63-48, and Clemson rolled past Miami 42-17. To say the least, it was a very exciting day of college football last Saturday. My first thoughts on the on the uh, college football last week, I can't believe LSU has now started 1-2 after just winning a national championship in January. Is the sky falling for the Tigers? Clemson just proves last Saturday they are still the team to beat or the Hurricanes aren't as good as they think they are. The SEC doesn't play defense. Alabama's defense allowed 48 points scored for Mississippi. Texas A&M could be flying under the radar after knocking down Florida. Georgia is really good and might be able to challenge the tide. With North Carolina beating Virginia Tech, they are now in the top five for the first time in a very long time. Mac Brown is doing an excellent job at UNC, which is normally a basketball school. Could UNC challenge Clemson for the ACC championship? Or will Notre Dame have something to say about that after taking down the Seminoles on Saturday night? Notre Dame looks good, but not great. They can play, they can clearly play better. However, there's a lot of college football to be played, and in just two weeks, the Big Ten gets started on their shortened season. Also, don't forget the Pac-12 starts their season on November 7th. Who looked really good and who looked really bad? As I mentioned just a minute ago, I think LSU has not looked good. In fact, they have looked horrendous. The champs have started the season 1-2 and and have fallen to Mississippi State and now Missouri. And worse, their defense has surrendered 96 points in just three games this season. I understand they lost a lot of players last year in the NFL, but you can't let that many points up and expect to be as good as last year. However, they do have a good quarter, great offense, and a good, solid quarterback. Miles Brennan isn't Joe Burrow, but he's still pretty solid. Some other teams that might be in trouble, Texas, Florida State, and every team from the Pac-12. But I think all those teams, including the Pac-12, can still bounce back and finish the season strong. My reaction to the top 25 rankings not too surprised that Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame are 1, 2, 3, and 4. However, I'm a little surprised that the UNC Tar Heels are 5. They have been playing well up to this point, but the question is, can they continue their success and will they be able to challenge Clemson for the top spot in the ACC? Another team under the radar is Cincinnati. Cincinnati plays in the American Conference and doesn't get the same press as teams in the Power 5 conferences, or as most people are calling it now, the Power 4.5. Plus, they have a very favorable schedule this season and could go 10-0. Their toughest opponent will be in a week when they take on the SMU, take on SMU at the Mustangs home turf. Despite Ohio State not starting their season, they're still in the top 10. The Buckeyes are ranked sixth and still have a great chance they can still make it to the college football playoff with one loss. However, don't discredit Oklahoma State. I understand they play in a somewhat of a weak conference in the Big 12, but they could make the run, they could run the table and go undefeated and make the college football playoff. Now, let's get to the top games in Week 5 of the National Football League. First game comes to mind, the Chiefs and Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders travel to Arrowhead to take on the Super Bowl champs, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Raiders haven't beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead since 2012. The Raiders were able to run the football and keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. Derek Carr played a good game, but it was the time of possession that really helped Las Vegas edge out the best team in football. Josh Jacobs is running like a wild man. He's been able to lift the Raiders to a 3-2 and record. That contract the Raiders gave to John Gruden two and a half years ago doesn't look so bad with the Las Vegas having a winning record. Raiders defeat the Chiefs 40-32. The Browns keep winning. This really does shock me. The Browns are 4-1 and and are currently in the AFC playoff picture. The Browns' defense was able to shut down the Colts' offense, and Baker Mayfield, despite injuring his shoulder, is having a lot better season than last year. 
Cleveland was able to show their 12,000 fans at the stadium that this is a different team from the previous years. The Browns defeat the Colts 32-23. The AFC North is a very tough division and might be the best in the NFL. However, the NFC West is pretty good too. Hunt added 72 yards on the ground, and Jarvis Landry was able to receive 88 yards and four receptions. On the other hand, the Colts' offense is in trouble. Indianapolis has to has a great defense, but their offense has to get it going, and that starts with the veteran Phillip Rivers. Rivers threw two picks in Sunday's games and is starting to look his age. However, the one bright spot in the Colts' offense is rookie running back Jonathan Taylor. Cowboys avoid the upset. The Cowboys are 2-3 and three and lead the awful NFC East. On Sunday, despite losing their quarterback and top player Dak Prescott to an injury, Dallas was able to persevere and win on the last second field goal by Greg Zerline. No word yet on when Prescott can return from that horrific injury he suffered on Sunday. However, former Bengals quarterback and backup quarterback for the Cowboys, Red Rifle Andy Dalton helped Dallas into two late drives to beat the hated rival, the New York Giants. It seems like signing Andy Dalton as the backup to Dak Prescott was a good move by owner Jerry Jones. The Giants are in trouble. They are now 0-5 one of the worst teams in the league. With Barkley out for the foreseeable future, Jones needs to step up. I understand that Danny Dimes doesn't have a lot of help, but the great ones always find a way to figure something out. Steelers surge past the Eagles. The Pittsburgh Steelers are now 4-0 and lead in the NFC, AFC North. With Big Ben healthy, the Steelers could once again be the top dog in the AFC. Pittsburgh defeated their in-state rival, the Philadelphia Eagles, 38-29. Roethlisberger, I think, has found a target other than Juju. His name is Chase Claypool. Claypool finished the day with seven receptions for 110 yards and three scores. James Conner added 44 yards on 15 carries, and Big Ben threw for 239 yards. As we look at the Eagles, they need a lot of help. Carson Wentz doesn't deserve the blame he's getting. Wentz never has time to throw the ball and is always trying to make plays for his team. The Super Bowl 52 champions need to get Wentz some help soon. Although running back Miles Sanders for Philly had a pretty solid day on the ground, adding 88 yards on 11 attempts. Russell Wilson comes back to beat the Vikings. Well, that was an exciting second half of football on Sunday night. Russell Wilson came through the clutch again. Despite being down 13-0 going to halftime, Seattle was able to get on the back of Russell Wilson and score and soar to a 27-26 win over Minnesota. Wilson only threw for 217 yards and did throw a pick, but that last drive was Russ Magic. Wilson now leads the league in touchdowns passes with 19 and has only thrown three INTs. A very questionable call late in the game for the Vikings to go up on four to go for it on fourth and one instead of taking the points to get by one possession. Instead, it comes back to haunt the Vikings as they end up losing by one point. I did, however, disagree with the last play of the game. I think Cousins' pass should have been an incompletion, not a fumble. But that's how the season has gone for Minnesota. And last but not least, Monday night football highlights. For the fourth straight week, Justin Herbert has to go toe-to-toe with an elite quarterback. Herbert even had the lead going into the fourth quarter. However, just like just like Charger fashion, they end up losing in overtime thanks to a field goal by Saints kicker Will Lutz. L.A. led New Orleans 20-10 going to the break, but the future Hall of Famer Drew Brees refused to let that happen. Although the Chargers should have won the game but missed a 49-yard field goal. On the Chargers' final possession, they went for it on fourth and down and were one yard short of the marker. Saints come back to beat the Chargers 30-27 in overtime. The Saints are now 3-2 and, and the Chargers are 1-4. 
The final race of the second round in the 2020 NASCAR Cup playoffs happened on Sunday afternoon at the Bank of America Roval 400. Chase Elliott of the number nine car steered into victory lane. Elliott claimed his fourth straight victory at road courses this season. Currently, Elliott is in fourth place for the standing and has a very good chance of winning his first cup championship. Elliott won his third race of the season and first at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, Roval. The rest of the top five were Joey Logano, Eric Jones, Kurt Busch, and Ryan Blaney. 2019 Cup Series champion Kyle Busch was knocked out of the playoffs. The other three were Clint Boyer, Eric Amarola, and Austin Dillon. That was a good win for Chase Elliott, the number nine car. That was Elliott's first win of the 2020 Cup playoffs. The number nine has had a pretty solid season despite NASCAR shutting down for 10 weeks earlier this year. I think Elliott will make it past the third round and advance the final race of the season at Phoenix. I'm not sure he can catch Kevin Harvick or Danny Hamlin, but he can sure give them a run for their money. However, there are still three more races until the showdown at Phoenix Raceway. Clint Boyer is fine after the crash. It's a shame that Clint Boyer crashed in his final race of his NASCAR career. He was knocked out of the playoffs and will now join the Fox Sports team in the booth. Boyer finished the season in 13th place. Boyer had somewhat of a tough season this year. No word yet on who will replace Clint Boyer for Team Stuart Haas Racing. Final playoff round preview. Well, we're getting down to the final stages of the 2020 NASCAR season. It's been a wild ride, but Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin have mostly dominated the 2020 season. However, Brad Kozlowski, Chase Elliott, and Joey Logano could all spoil the next four races of the 2020 campaign. On Sunday, NASCAR heads to Kansas Speedway for the Hollywood Casino 400 to kick off the round of eight playoffs. The favorites to win at Kansas Speedway are obviously Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, and Brad Kozlowski. Hamlin, in fact, won at Kansas Speedway earlier this year in the Superstart Batteries 400. Hamlin is also the defending champion at the Hollywood Casino 400. The race this Sunday starts at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. The L.A. Lakers topped the Miami Heat to win their 17th championship. On Sunday night, the Lakers defeated the Miami Heat 106-93. The Lakers beat the Heat in Game 6 despite Miami not having Gordon Drogic and Bam Adebayo 100%. LeBron is now the first player in history of the NBA to become Finals MVP with three different franchises. James has now won four championships. The Lakers claim their first title since 2010. In fact, Ellie has now tied the Boston Celtics for the most championships in league history. I really thought the Heat were going to win that series. However, that did not happen, and the Lakers cruised over the Heat in Game 6. Although Jimmy Butler played outstandingly and give him a lot of credit, Butler proved that he is an elite player and top five player in the NBA. Watch out for Miami next year. The Heat have a very good chance to do it again next year, except without the bubble thing. A lot of people are still not sure if James should have won Finals MVP, including myself. Davis was spectacular, and it seemed when he would not have a good game, the Lakers would lose. But the voters for Finals MVP thought differently. Before the Finals started, someone besides James and Anthony needed to step up, and they got that from a few players. KCP was good, Rondo was solid, and Howard was all right. Are the Lakers really the best team in the league? I think so. Even though the Lakers did not play the good teams that included the Clippers or Bucks, they did end up winning the title and claiming their 17th championship. We will never know what the series would have been if players like Gordon Dragic or Bam Adebayo had been 100%. All we know is the Heat played great, but the Lakers were just better. If you're a Miami fan, you should put your head down. In fact, you should put your head up high because you look or you took the Lakers to game six without two of your better players. Not to mention the Heat beat the Bucks and Celtics in the Eastern Conference playoffs to take on L.A. in the finals. The Heat could be the team to beat in the East next season. 
What's next for both teams in the offseason? Well, first, the Lakers. They need to re-sign Anthony Davis. That's their main priority right now. They also might have to entertain the idea of trading either Kyle Kuzma or Danny Green. I know trading Kuzma doesn't seem smart, but I don't think he fits the Lakers very well. And plus, he's eligible for a big contract, a big extension this winter. I don't think it's worth it if I was the Lakers organization and there would be some teams that would be interested in the former ASU product. The Lakers might get a nice return in exchange for Kuzma. Also, Danny Green is getting paid too much with the Lakers. He was not great in the bubble and couldn't make his wide-open shots. I understand they can't find a partner, but they need to at least try. On the flip side, Miami doesn't have to do as much. Now, they could try to land Giannis, but I'm not sure the Bucs would want to trade him to the Heat. There's also a chance the Heat would trade a lot of their top role players in order to land Giannis, and it doesn't. And if it doesn't work out, it's not a good plan. That's the only thing that I can see the Heat really doing in free agency this year. Thanks for listening to the Sports Town Podcast, or the SCP Pod for short. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Please don't forget to like, rate, comment, and subscribe.